We've all heard that children of God are known by the love they have for one another. But what does that really look like? Hi, this is the Him We Proclaim podcast. In our First John study, we're contrasting the children of God versus the children of the devil. We'll see today that one of the most profound ways children of God love each other is how they treat the teachings of God. In other words, not spreading false teachings about the person and work of Christ is the primary way believers love one another. There's a lot more John Fonville wants to cover in this short series called Love One Another. Here's part one. Let's direct our attention to 1 John chapter 3. Let me just come back and help just give you some context very quickly as we look at this section in John. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 28, through chapter 3, verse 10, this is what we have seen that John has taught us. He has been distinguishing for us the children of God from the children of the devil. And he does this, he, makes the, he distinguishes these two different types of people to grant assurance to his, what he calls little children in the faith. What had happened was some former church members left the church. They had come back into the church, and they said, hey, we know God in a way that you don't know God now. We have this special anointing of the Holy Spirit that we've received, and we have seen God. And we know him in this special way that you don't know. And what had happened was, because these are former church members, of course, the church members who, who were in the churches were confused, right? They had lost their assurance of faith. To help them have assurance, John says, look, here, look how we distinguish between the children of God and the children of the, he calls them the children of the devil. He's granting them assurance. He's giving them assurance because what had happened was this confusion that had, had crept in their lives was causing them to ask this question, well, are we the children of God? You see, this was what John was doing in chapter 2, verse 28, to chapter 3, verse 10. He distinguishes the children of God from the children of the devil. And, he says the, and this was his whole point of that passage. He says to them that the children of God do what is right. All right? In the context, we saw doing what is right is very simple. He told us in chapter 3, verse 23, what that is. Look what he says. This is his commandment. This is doing what is right. This is practicing righteousness. The first thing is, he says, is that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. You see, these former church members, they came back into the church and they said, oh, Jesus didn't come in the flesh. Jesus is not the Christ. He's not the Messiah. He's not the son of God come in human flesh. And he didn't die for your sins. And oh, by the way, we don't have any sin now because we really know God And John says, the children of God reject that because he says they believe. Look, in his son, Jesus Christ, Jesus is the Messiah, God in human flesh. And second, he says, they do the things that are 
pleasing in his sight. He says, they, they, here it is, love one another. Now, John comes to chapter 3, verses 11 through 24, and he continues this exact same argument. He keeps making these distinctions, and he, he draws contrast between this, love and hate. All right, look at verse 10 of chapter 3, because chapter 3, verse 10 is the link to this next section. Look what John says. He says, by this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. It's clear. What is clear, he says, anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God. And here it is, nor the one who does not love his brother. This last clause here in verse 10 provides the link to chapter 3, verses 11 through 24. And so here's what John does. In this new section, he takes, up this, he takes up this theme of love. There are actually three major themes in this letter. All right, The first is sin. That's chapter 1. The next, chapter 2. In, in chapter 4, he talks about proper belief in Christ. But here he takes up this idea, this theme of love. And so in chapter 3, verses 11 through 24, this is his main theme that he's saying. And this is it. This is his whole argument here for the, all these verses, all right? He says, if you have love for fellow believers in the church, this is the mark that you're a true child of God. That's his whole argument. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. This theme of love goes back to chapter 3, verse 1, where he exhorts his little children. He says, little children, see how great the Father's love is for you that he has called you the children of God. This theme of love begins in chapter 3, verse 1, with the Father's great love for us that he should, that he should call out to us and make us his children. And here in chapter 3, verses 11 through 24, he concludes his discussion on this love theme that he starts all the way back in chapter 3, verse 1. And this is what he argues. He says that God's children, in contrast to the devil's children, he says God's children live out the family resemblance of their father, who in great love has called them to be his children. And how do they do this? How do they demonstrate this great love like their father? He says, by doing what is right. He keeps this theme up of doing what is right, practicing righteousness. As they resemble their father's great love, they do it in two ways. First, he says, they resemble their father's love by loving fellow believers in the church. How? By not teaching false teaching about the person and work of Christ. He says, because and what we're going to see is this false teaching about the person and work of Christ deceives people, and he says it destroys their life. 
And that's not loving. Second, he says, doing what is right involves providing for fellow believers who are in need. You see, back in the first century, we'll come back to it, but just so you understand what he's saying here. Back in the first century, you had itinerant preachers in churches. And the custom was this, was that when they came to your town to help you in your church, you kept them in your house and provided for them because they didn't have, they didn't have provisions for what they needed because they were traveling preachers to house churches. This is why in 2 John chapter 7, John says, when these secessionists come to your house, he says, don't let them in. Why? Because these so-called itinerant preachers who had come back into the churches were ripping off the churches and taking material resources from believers who had great need. And John says, that's not loving. You don't rip off the church with false teaching. And so this is, uh, this is what John says. He says, this kind of gospel-created love characterizes the children of God, and it stands in contrast to the children, the satanic-created hate that characterizes the children of the devil. So that's the whole context. That's the big picture of what John's doing in chapter 3, verses 11 through 24. But specifically, what is John teaching us in these verses? He's seeking to assure his readers of their status as the children of God. He's seeking to assure us of our status as being the children of God. And how does he do that? This is what he does. He sets forth three contrasts between the children of God and the children of the devil. And he makes it obvious. He says in chapter 3, verse 10, this is very clear. This is an obvious distinction. These contrasts are clear. Let's look at the first contrast this morning. Look at verses 11 through 13. Verses 11 through 13, he says, For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of the evil one, and slew his brother. He says, And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds are evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brethren, if... The world hates you. Here's the first contrast from these verses. John says that the children of God love fellow believers in the church. In contrast to the children of the devil who hate fellow believers in the church. That's his first contrast in these verses. Look at Jesus' command in verse 11. John begins his discussion of love for fellow believers in the church as the mark of the children of God by reminding his readers, he says, on this message that they had heard from Jesus from the beginning. What was this message that they heard from the beginning? What was the message? It goes back to chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. It was the gospel based upon the apostles' eyewitness account of Christ. This message that they heard proclaimed to them from the apostles was the gospel. 
The gospel was, was under attack by these secessionists and these former church members who had departed the church and come back to deceive these, these little children that John had brought to faith by preaching to them the gospel. Why is the gospel under attack? Here's why. Listen carefully. It's through the gospel that we come to know the Father's great love for us. How? in the sending of his son in human flesh to die for our sins. Jesus reveals to us the Father's love for us. And what happens is, is the enemy of our faith knows this. And if he can keep us from seeing the Father's great love for us, chapter 3, verse 1, guess what we cannot do? We can't love others because the great teaching that John has throughout this whole letter is this chapter 4 verse 19 you've heard this a million times say it with me we what we love because first yes it's God the father's great love for us in his son that that creates in our hearts and wins in our hearts love for others. You cannot love God and love others until you have seen the Father's great love for you in Christ. And John says this is exactly what these secessionists were, were attacking because they're of the devil. And because the gospel, the Father's great love for us, creates our love for each other in the church, John says, this message that you heard from the beginning, that is the beginning of the Christian walk, he says, this message was accompanied by Jesus' command to love one another. Why? Because this is what the gospel produces. Love for fellow believers in the church is the fruit of, of the gospel. It's not the gospel, it's the fruit of the gospel. And this command, this message, look what John says. He says, this is what you have heard from the beginning. And he says, what is it that we should love one another? Jesus has commanded this. He's taught us this. Where does this come from? Look at John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. Jesus' command to his disciples to love each other, it comes from his Last Supper discourse in John 13. Jesus is about to depart to be with his Father, his physical ascension to heaven. He's about to leave his disciples. And just prior to this, listen to what he says to them. Verse 34, John 13, he says, a new commandment, I give to you that what you love one another. Why? Even as I have loved you. You see, his love creates our love. He says, even as I have loved you, then you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, listen carefully to this. There's lots of questions come up in this passage in 1 John. 
Here's the first question. What does Jesus mean by a new commandment? Because John has told us in 1 John chapter 2, verse 7, this is not a new commandment. It's an old commandment. It's not a novel idea. In the history of Revelation, God had already commanded us to love our neighbor. This command to love our neighbor echoes and develops God's command in the Mosaic Covenant. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, we heard it this morning from the great commandment that Jesus commanded to us. Listen to what God said way back in the time of Moses, 1,500 years prior. He says this in Mosaic Covenant, in the second table in the law. He says, you should not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people. He says, but you should love your neighbor as yourself. And this command to love your neighbor, to love one another, it's not new. Yeah, Jesus says, a new commandment that I give to you, love one another. So how is this command to love one another, how is it new if it is old? Well, you have to come and see what Jesus has done, what John says. Turn back to the book of 1 John, and I'll show you. When Jesus institutes the new covenant in his blood, he creates this new commandment. He makes it new. How? Look at 1 John chapter 2, verse 8. John says, The darkness is passing away, and the light is already shining. What is he talking about? In the context of 1 John, the darkness is the realm in which sinful desires, hatred, that John talks about here in chapter 3, verses 11 through 24, hatred of the secessionists. That's what he's talking about. He says this, this, this sinful desires, the darkness is the realm in which sinful desires of hatred toward Christ, hatred toward Christ's people, also sinful behavior, murder, the sin of rebellion, which is what John has been addressing throughout this whole book of the sin of the secessionists, this rebellion against Christ, this rebellion against Christ's people, this rebellion against Christ's church. John says, this darkness is passing away. This, these sinful desires of hatred toward Christ, hatred toward Christ's people, murder, rebellion, hostility toward Christ and Christ's church, it's passing away. Throughout the book of 1 John, John calls these, these former church members, these secessionists, chapter 2, verse 19, who've left the church, he calls them repeatedly antichrists. They oppose Christ. They're against Christ in his church. He says that they're under the control of the devil who is their father. He says that they're filled with these sinful desires of hatred and rebellion and hostility toward Christ. Chapter 2, verse 17, look what John says about this. He says, the world, which are these secessionists, and its sinful desires, its rebellion and hatred are passing away. Why? Chapter 2, verse 8. Because he says this true light is already shining. What is this true light that is shining? He's referring to the first coming of Christ 
in the flesh, in the incarnation, which is what these secessionists were denying. And John says, with the first coming of Christ in the flesh, this is a powerful point that he makes, and I want you to get this. With the first coming of Christ in the flesh, he says that the powers of the age to come are now breaking in on this present evil age and crushing those powers. Luke 22, verse 20, Christ says, and he has inaugurated the new covenant in his blood through his death on the cross. By, listen, he has defeated the sinful powers of this present age, this darkness, this hatred, this hostility, this rebellion. Jesus crushed it on the cross. How do we know this? Look at the context that we're looking at. Look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 5. Listen to what John says about what Jesus has done to the sin of the, of the secessionists. 1 John chapter 3, verse 5, John says, Jesus appeared, his incarnation, the Son of God, coming in human flesh, he has appeared, what? To take away sins. What sins is he talking about? In the context, it's the sin of rebellion and hatred against Christ and the church by these secessionists who left the church and came back in to deceive it and destroy it. John says, the Son of God has appeared to take this away. Look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. He says, the Son of God appeared for this purpose. Look at this, to destroy the works of the devil. In the context, the works of the devil is his deception, his rebellion and hatred toward Christ and God's people working through these false teachers in the church. And John says, Christ, the Son of God, appeared in the human flesh to destroy that rebellion against him and his people. The first coming of Christ, the inbreaking of the power of the king and his kingdom, as we heard, for example, in Psalm 21, read to us today in our scripture readings. He has been on this demolition project of destroying all that rebels against him and his people. The powers of the age to come have broken in upon this world that is now passing away. And having accomplished this saving work that the Father sent him to do, Jesus ascended to heaven. He poured out the gift of the Holy Spirit upon his people. And the Holy Spirit now brings this new creation, the powers of the age to come into the church in this present evil age. If any man be in Christ, he's what? a new creation. That means he is a part of the resurrection age to come now. And so the Holy Spirit, through the new covenant, provides this internal cleansing and renewal in God's people. What does the Holy Spirit do? John teaches this in this book. Because you have to remember what the secession is saying. We have this special anointing of the Holy Spirit that has led us to go beyond what the apostles, what John gave to us. Their claim of the Holy Spirit caused John's little children to question, do we have the Holy Spirit? Are we God's children? And John says, the evidence that you're a child of God is that the Holy Spirit subdues your unbelief. 
he, he conquers your rejection and rebellion against believing that Jesus is the Son of God, come in human flesh to offer himself as a propitiation for your sins. Chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. The Holy Spirit overcomes your hatred of Christ, your hatred towards one another. That's what the Heidelberg Catechism in question 10 says. He says, it says this, it says, do we by nature love God and our fellow man? And this is the answer, no, but by our fallen nature, we hate God and we hate our fellow man. The Holy Spirit, working through the gospel, subdues this unbelief. He subdues the tyranny of our rebellion and hatred towards Christ and hatred towards one another. And and he creates in the church a loving communion of saints that gathers around word and table sacrament where Christ feeds us as a communion of saints. The Holy Spirit, Ezekiel 36, verse 27 in the New Covenant, the Holy Spirit causes God's people to become abundantly fruitful, producing in his people what they're incapable of producing in themselves, which is love for God and love for one another, which is keeping the great commandment. Ezekiel says in the New Covenant, the Holy Spirit causes us He enables us, he creates in us this new obedience, this new love. And when Jesus says, I've given you a new commandment, and when John is talking about this new commandment that Christ has given to his people, that's what's new about it. In verse 11, John says that the secessionists who do not love fellow believers in the church, they're not the children of God, they're the children of the devil, they're part of the darkness that is passing away. They have been conquered and destroyed by Christ through his death on the cross. And John teaches us in chapter 2 very clearly that it is the Holy Spirit who causes God's people to love each other rather than to hate each other. Look at verse 12. What, what does John mean? What, what does he mean when he says that believers love each other? He spells it out negatively in verse 12. Look at verse 12. He gives this counterexample of Cain. He says, this is how we don't love each other, right? Not as Cain, who was of the evil one. His father was the devil, and he slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil, and his brothers were righteous. John takes us back to the book of Genesis. In Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 25, and he rehearses for us the story of Cain. Why does he do this? What is he, what is he doing with this counterexample of Cain? This is what he's doing. He's addressing the sin of the, of the secessionists, the sin of rebellion committed by the secessionists. He, he, he uses this example of Cain to explain to his little children this true relationship between themselves and the secessionists. In verse 12, Cain equals the secessionists. These former church members who have left the church, rejected Christ, said they don't have any sin. We don't have to obey Christ's commands. We don't have to love you. We've got, we, we have seen God in this new way with this new special anointing, and we want to tell you about it. And John says, those people are like Cain. 
Oh, Cain equals a sessionist. Abel, Cain's brother, equals John's little children, who he's writing to. And in describing these secessionists, John uses Cain, who forever stands as the epitome of a rebellious sinner who failed to love his brother. Why? Because remember, John is addressing the sin of rebellion in this chapter. The, the secessionists rebelling against Christ, rebelling against the church. And he says, Cain is the epitome of the sin of the secessionists. He is the epitome, the archetype, the perfect classic example of what it looks like to be a rebellious sinner filled with hatred towards a brother. And he says, this is exactly what the secessionists are like. Look what he says. He says, the secessionists are like Cain, who was the world's first murderer, who killed his own brother. It's a very simple story. Cain and Abel were brothers. Just like John's fellowship of churches, these believers who had remained in John's churches, they thought they were brothers and sisters with those who had left. But he says, even though Cain and Abel were brothers, they didn't have the same faith. Therefore, they didn't have the same character. They were contrasted by love and hate. The author of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4 says, Cain lacked faith, and because he lacked faith, he was filled with hatred towards his brother Abel. Cain, John says, was a child of the devil who carried out the desires of the devil and murdered his brother. This is what Jesus says in John 8, 44. He says to the Jews, you're of your father, the devil, who's been a murderer from the very beginning. You're just like your father. John says, little children, you're just like your father. Chapter 2, all right, chapter 2, verses 12 through 14, John has already told his little children that they're loving each other that they're obeying Christ's commandments and that they're faithful, strong Christians. But he says here, look at the contrast. He says, Cain, the secessionists are like Cain. They're child children of the devil. They carry out the desires of the devil and they murder you, brothers in Christ, with their false teaching. Cain, because he didn't have faith, he didn't do what was right. That's what John is arguing for. Doing what is right is a child of God. Cain did not do what is right, obviously. But he says that Abel, the author, of, the author of Hebrews says Abel had faith and therefore he did what is right. He offered this acceptable sacrifice to God. John says, Cain hated Abel for doing what was right, for practicing righteousness, and because he thought Abel was a goody two-shoe, right? He killed him. He killed him. Just the same, John's little children were like Abel. They had faith in the incarnate Christ. They were doing what is right. 
They were keeping Christ's commands. They were obeying. They were loving each other. Not perfectly, because John says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful. So not right. They were confessing their sins. Confessing your sin is doing what is right. He says in chapter 2, they're walking in the light. They're practicing righteousness. But in contrast, the secessionists like Cain, they don't have faith in Christ. They reject Christ, and therefore they're filled with hatred towards John's little children. They're not walking in the light. They're walking in the darkness, which is passing away. They rejected the apostolic gospel. If you reject the gospel, you're walking in darkness. John says they have rebelled against Christ, denied that he was the, the Messiah, denied that he's God in human flesh, denied their sin, denied the need for Christ's death for being necessary to forgive your sins, rebelled against Christ's commands, said you don't have to keep Christ's commands and live this licentious life. And they said, all because we've seen God and we've got the Holy Spirit who taught us all this stuff. And it caused John's little children to just go into mass confusion and lose their assurance. And John says, these secessionists who do this to God's people are like Cain. They're committing spiritual murder. This is hatred towards Christ and hatred towards Christ's people. Why? Because it's not loving to deceive someone into believing what is not true about the person and work of Christ. And it's not loving to have a person be deceived into thinking they can disobey Christ's commands. That's not loving. It's destructive. John says this is spiritual murder. They're just like, the, they're just like Cain, who is the epitome of rebellion, who is forever known as the world's first murderer of his brother. They're just like Cain. So look what John does. Look at verse 13. Look at this exhortation. John says to his little children, he says to them, do not be surprised, brothers, if the world hates you. In this context, what is the world? It's the secessionist. It's very simple. It's the secessionist. Now, it would be a very surprising thing if you were sitting next to someone for five years in church, one Sunday they don't show up, two Sundays later they do show up, and they're telling you Jesus didn't appear in the flesh, and I don't sin anymore, you might be surprised. <laughs> you might be confused, going, wait a minute, that's not what John taught us from 1 John. That's what these believers were going through. They're going, wait a minute. That's not what John and the apostles taught us from the beginning. But they're saying they've got the Holy Spirit now and, you're miss and that we're missing out on something. And they were confused. And John says this hatred that had come to them, he says, don't be surprised, brothers, if the world, if these former church members, if they hate you, he says, look, you have to understand, they are like Cain who hated his brother and murdered him. They don't have faith. In chapter 3, 
Look at verse one. I think in the verse one, he says, for this reason, the world, the secessionists, they don't know us because the secessionists don't know him. They don't know Christ. As I have shown you, you can't know the Father apart from the incarnation of Christ who reveals him to us. And these secessionists are saying, we know God, we've seen God, but we reject Christ. And John says, if you reject Christ, you don't know him and you haven't seen him and you don't know us. They don't possess saving faith. They reject Christ coming in the flesh and therefore they do not know God. They do not possess the Holy Spirit. John is assuring his little children who are confused. Do you, do you hear the powerful assurance John's giving his confused little children? See how clear this is? He says, little children like Cain, these, these former church members who've come back to deceive you, they're filled with hatred for you. They're under the control of the devil and they're guilty of spiritual murder. So don't be surprised that they hate you. They're not of us. They don't know Christ. They don't know us. Look at this contrast. That's John's first contrast that he draws to give assurance to his little children. So... As we reflect on this first contrast, there are two important lessons that I want you to consider about life in this present fallen world as we finish. Here's the first spiritual lesson about that. Those who do what is right will be hated by those who do not do what is right. Cain's motive, John says, for killing his brother reveals this foundational spiritual principle about life in this fallen world. Cain hated his brother Abel because John says he did what was right and he hated him for it. Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. All God's children who trust in Christ and seek to do what is right will experience hostility, resistance, hatred, and rebellion against them. I have seen this throughout my travels throughout the world. And I have watched with my two eyes, three feet away from me, persecuting Christians. Nothing I could do about it. But in this Last Supper discourse, which is the context of First John here, chapter 3, Jesus, just after telling his disciples about giving them this new commandment to love each other, he immediately tells them that his disciples will experience hatred from the world. He says, this I command you, that you love one another. If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. He says, look, if you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. John is telling his little children, and he's telling us that those who are living in rebellion toward Christ, rebellion towards Christ's church, they're going to hate you. Why? Because they hate who is in you. The world hates Christ. And therefore they hate Christ's people. 
That's why I think this whole thing about celebrity pastors is so dangerous because everybody wants to be a celebrity pastor and have 50,000 people in their church and being loved and praised for that. It's very dangerous if you're a pastor to be liked by everybody and be interviewed on CBS morning news shows. I don't think this kind of uh, teaching that John is giving would go over too well on Good Morning America. But if you want to smile with perfect teeth and tell people you can have your best life now, right? If you're, John says, if you're doing what is right, if you're trusting Christ, come in the flesh for the forgiveness of your sins and loving the church, the world's going to hate you. Just expect hostility, expect pushback, expect rebellion, expect it. Don't be surprised. Second, he teaches us that false teaching equals hatred and spiritual murder. Why? Misleading and deceiving believers to believe false things about Christ and to influence them to disobey Christ and not trust Christ is essentially hate. In John chapter 21, Jesus, he asked Peter three times, Peter, do you love me? And each time Peter replies, Jesus exhorts Peter, feed or tend my sheep. Jesus is teaching us a very clear truth here. The evidence that Peter and that we love God is that Peter will feed Christ's sheep with the life-giving nourishment of the gospel. John says throughout this letter, loving God and loving his people is inseparable. No loving shepherd would fail to tend to the needs of his animals and just let them die. Let them be malnourished. Feed them poison and say, enjoy your green pasture. No loving shepherd will starve his animals and feed that which is harmful to them, that is to hate them and not love them. Sheep will just go off in the countryside where our, our farm is, my father-in-law's farm, and he's, he told me the story. He would see sheep, they'll just go off and eat this, what is it, an ivy? And just, they'll, they'll die if they consume that, those, that foliage. They'll just die and they'll just eat tons of it and die. No faithful shepherd will do that. And Jesus says, Peter, love me. Feed my sheep the truth of the gospel. Feed them. John characterizes the secessionists as those who hate sheep because they're creating confusion and feeding them poison. They're deceiving them about the false teaching about the person and work of Christ and trying to lead them astray. He says it twice in this letter that their motive was to deceive them. And so deception keeps us from seeing the Father's great love for us and the sending of Christ in the flesh. And if we can't see and receive the Father's love, we can't love in return. Because you can't give to another what you don't receive first as a gift. Amen. This is what John teaches us, this fundamental spiritual truth. Chapter 3, verse 1, the Father's great love for us precedes love for each other. Chapter 3, verses 11 
through 24. And if we don't see this, we can't love. If we do see this, we can. And that's what John, the contrast John draws for us here. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have first loved us through the sending of your Son. Help us to see this today. Help us to receive it today. And I pray that all of us here today would have the assurance that we're the children of God because we have received Christ come in the flesh. We have received his love. And now as we come to your table, let us receive these visible gospels, these tangible physical objects, these means of grace that give to us Christ and all of his saving benefits. So our hearts could be assured and comforted in the Father's great love for us so that we in turn can love one another, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to the Him We Proclaim podcast. Please subscribe if you haven't already for all our new episodes. And if this message was just what you needed to hear, please let us know in the comments and share it with a friend. 